I could actually see us tipping a couple weeks into April. I don't think it'll tip as much. Hi there, it's WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. And on this episode of the WAMC News Podcast, we get ready for the bulk of the 2024 New York State Legislative Session. Lawmakers are heading back to Albany for the new state legislative session. It's expected to be a tough budget year, with an election looming in November. And Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul will once again promote a housing plan that fell short in 2023. For a preview, I spoke with State Assemblyman John McDonald of the 108th District. We began by discussing his opposition to a law signed by Governor Hochul to move most local elections to even years. I actually voted against the bill. Um, I understand the intent, which is to help drive uh, greater voter turnout, which, quite frankly, we all should support. I think the, the challenge I had with it was the fact that at the state level and at the federal level, there's a lot of issues that have actually no direct correlation, have a no, have no correlation at all to local government. And that sometimes can be problematic when you're looking at you know, what's the most important thing at the local government? At the local government level, let's pave the roads, let's pick up the trash, let's put out the fires and make sure the community's safe. And um, that's why I did not support it. Um, governor did sign it, and it is law now, so uh, it is what it is. So from your perspective, what are the big issues ahead in the new legislative session? Well, obviously, the overall fiscal situation is critical because without the proper finances, it's hard to carry out the will of the people. Um, so we need to see um, where we are at. Um, the numbers, are, I think, are improving more than what people thought. But still, we're going to have to definitely exercise restraint, which is important. Good news is, is you know, vehicles like the property tax cap have really not only put a lid on tax increases, but really have actually caused tax decreases. And that's due to a mixture of, of course, good management at the local government level, but also stronger than expected finances when it comes to sales tax, which has really been a boom, uh, including the internet. Priority-wise, you know, you, you let in with this, and it's true. Housing continues to be a challenge, and it's a multi-factorial issue. We're dealing with the fact that rents are high, although they are starting to slow down a little bit, the increases. But it's still tough, and it's eating into families' incomes, and that's a problem. You know, there's different ways to address the issue. You know, I come from a, a, from my experience as mayor. You build more supply, uh, you'll meet the demand. And when you meet the demand, you actually start to get some leveling off of price increases. So we need to build more supply, both, both market rate, but also um, affordable housing or workforce housing, as it's called. We also need to be cognizant of the fact that interest rates are going to remain at highs for a while. They may trickle down a little bit next year, but it's not going to be that earth-shattering. So we need to make sure that we've got the proper motivations and incentives in place for individuals who want to buy homes. Home prices are still staying pretty high, although the frequency of sales has dropped dramatically. So the houses are holding their value, so we need to be mindful of that. I think the other challenge, there are a lot of challenges. We could talk about any topic you'd like, but, you know, obviously we're moving closer and closer to the climate change deadlines and, and, you know, there's been a very big push, which I'm supportive of enhanced 
options for renewable energy, but we also need to be pragmatic about it. We need to make sure that we can get there and not injure families. One of the biggest concerns and a priority of mine that we need to have the conversations about and also the actions about is the fact that we can't ignore the fact that the population of New York State continues to decline. And personally, as a longtime resident, it's bothersome because I think New York State is, is a great state. We're very all-encompassing. We provide a lot more than what other states provide in regards to services for every individual. But at the same token, it's become unaffordable. And it's something that's in some minds a perception. In many minds, it's a reality. So we need to have those hard conversations. And I know it's difficult to look in the mirror once in a while. But the truth of the matter is, you know, when people can move out of New York City over to Jersey City, see their rent drop by 20% and the amount of space they're renting increase by 20%, we got to say what's going on because it's not like they're moving to New Jersey because the weather is better. Yeah, Governor Andrew Cuomo used to joke about people going to Florida because it's warm. So you don't think that's the heart of the issue here? So the heart of the issue, I think, is a couple different things. One is affordability. And we really don't do ourselves a favor by doing a tail of the tape comparison by comparison. Good example. Auto insurance in New York State is drastically less expensive than it was in Florida. Now, the listeners are probably saying, oh, my God, how much more expensive could it be? Because in New York State, it's expensive. But the reality is it's three times the cost in Florida. Nobody really talks about that, do they? Um, We need to have that conversation. Um, When you look at where individuals have left New York State, the top five locations they've gone to is, number one, Florida, number two, New Jersey and Connecticut, number three, Texas, number four, Pennsylvania, number five, Pennsylvania. It's not all because of the weather. And I think the other thing that we really can't change, but we have to acknowledge is this. Uh, There are many people now who don't need to go to work on Monday. They're called baby boomers. They are retiring. And some people are making that decision that they want to be in a warmer climate for six months out of the year. So former governor's comments, although I think it was tongue in cheek, There is some component of that that's true, but the truth of the matter is what we need to do. We need to continue to attract people to stay here. And that's where I think New York State has an advantage that we haven't tapped into, whether it's the Micron $10 billion investment, whether it's nanotechnology, as we've always called it here in the capital region. We need to do a better job of making it a more uh, friendly and affordable environment Uh, for everybody, but including our college students. Here in the Capital Region, we graduate a lot of highly talented, smart individuals, and we need to build on incentives like the video digital game taxing credit to keep those creative minds here in New York State, which, by the way, those creative minds make good money, and we actually rely on that taxable income from those salaries to help support our budget. So let's go back to housing for just a second. Um, People might remember that at the end of the session, there was a a deal announced between the Senate and the Assembly, but the governor wasn't on board. So she said she would use kind of executive orders for the rest of 2023. Where are the areas of compromise between uh, your chamber and the governor from where things left off last year? It's interesting. I think the governor has done the right thing in regards to putting more incentives in place. I've always been a, a, 
a person that if you incentivize something to do something and they perform, then the incentive is well served. And she has been putting heavier weighting on some of the municipal grant applications, such as the downtown revitalization initiative and the restore programs and things like that. I think that's smart. It's 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 the carrot versus the stick. You know, what didn't work last year, and, and once again, I disagreed with my colleagues on this, but, you know, there are suburbs, whether it's in Westchester, whether it's in Rockland County, whether it's in Long Island, they've made the decision that they want their zoning to stay the same. Now, I may not agree with that, but the truth of the matter is it is what it is, and you can't fight it because otherwise the people lose. So let's focus on where we can get some meaningful market growth and workforce housing growth. And I think in our urban centers, you know, I look here in the district I represent, in the 108th Assembly District, cities like Cohoes and Troy, Waterville and Rensselaer, are more than happy to welcome new housing, particularly around the train station and in that area, areas that are undeveloped, uh, areas that may be brownfields. So let's take those under, underutilized resources and put them, put them in play. And I think that's a great opportunity where we can come in agreement. Um, you know, the governor took approach last year where we're going to make the suburbs participate. Well, the suburbs have made a decision. They don't want to participate. Yeah, they didn't like that idea. <laughs> no, no. But, but you know, listen, that's that's their issue to deal with. I think, quite frankly, it's short-sighted. You know, I've been around long enough in public office, but also in, in healthcare. right? I've seen people come and go, and they come back. Everyone says they're going to Florida. They go back to Florida. They go to Florida. You know what? They come back. When they get to that magic age of 75, their health is starting to to, to, to diminish. They come back here. You want to know why? Because New York State, I know some people will have a hard time believing this, has a much broader array of services for people who are either with disabilities or struggling with health care. Um, and I think, you know, we have to make arrangements to make sure that we can accommodate that. And at the same token, we need to find a reason, as I said earlier, to make sure people continue to call New York State home. So bigger picture, the budget last year was weeks and weeks late, uh, the latest one in a long time. Um, Do you expect that that will happen again this year? So it's interesting. The way the schedule is set up, um, we are actually scheduled to work up until March 28th take off a few days for the religious holidays and then back at it January, April 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and for the week after. So I could actually see us tipping a couple weeks into April. I don't think it'll tip as much. Last year, the budget got held up because of two things. One was the housing. Mm-hmm. The other one was uh, modifications to bail. The bail modifications made last year were meaningful. They've made a difference. They've given judges the discretion that people have lamented, even though some would argue it was already there. So I don't think bail will be an issue this year. Uh, so I think, you know, we have to come to an agreement on finances. The good news is the Assembly and, and Senate financial teams, along with the Division of Budget and the governor, they can arrive pretty quickly at what our total total size of the pie is going to be. In other words, what we're working with. Is it $229 billion? Is it $230 billion? Probably by the middle of March, we'll have that number. And then it gets into, okay, well, what, what's the slice of the pie going to look like? And that's, that's the art, but there won't be a lot of policy items like bail um, that are going to hold up the process. That really held up the process. I thought it was 
actually unnecessary uh, for the most part. Our conference, I think, had arrived at where we needed to be. However, you know, like anything else, there are certain parts of the conference that need to demonstrate that they're doing their best to to refrain against these things. And, and that was part of the process. So you're, if I'm understanding you correctly, you think public safety will not be a dominating issue in this session the way it was the last two or three years? What I had said is the bail issue will not be a dominating issue. Public safety always remains a high priority for everybody. It will always be a topic of conversation. Raise the age is a topic that has um, gotten a lot of attention and, you know, quite frankly, needs work. And where it needs work primarily, and this is where we've always had problems, we are very quick to approve something like decriminalization of marijuana. Uh, we are quick to change to raise the age on how we deal with those eight, less than 18 years old. But we were very slow and still remain slow in regards to, you know, bringing legalization of marijuana and bringing the shops online and raise the age, making sure that we have the facilities for these young men and young women who do get in trouble. We have not done well in regards to we're quick to raise the flag. We're not good to implement the structures. And that's where I think our discussion is going to be what raised the age. We need to make sure that our partners at the local level, particularly the counties, are getting the resources to build these facilities. We all agree that it's not productive for a 16-year-old who who is alleged to have committed a crime to be sitting in a facility for years next to a hardened criminal. It's not going to be productive. However, the promise made that was not kept by the governor at the time and the legislature was we would make sure these resources would be in place. Here in Albany County and in the Capital Region, we've had a juvenile detention facility in place for probably 15, 20 years, a great collaborative effort where we've had 25 positions. We have had 25 seats for individuals who are, are struggling and going through the process. They're trying to expand it to 39. They may be done by sometime in 2025. This is on something that was approved two or three years ago. That's shameful. It's it's not appropriate. We actually have failed the use in this aspect, and that's why we need to change the structure of how resources are allocated to the counties, give them the money up front so they can get things done. Because at the end of the day, uh, my position with particularly youth is this. You know, if, if a young youth is driving around in Arbor Hill with three illegal firearms, there's something drastically wrong. And either they are going to be a problem for somebody else or they've got problems where people are chasing after them, which does happen. Bottom line is get them into a safe place where they can get the proper supports, let the courts adjudicate the process as need be, and move on. So I think public safety will always dominate the conversation. As you alluded to in the beginning of this interview, it's an election year, so any topic is fair game, even <laughs> if it's not accurate, because that does happen quite often. But I think, you know, it's going to be um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a very quick session from my perspective, even though we're starting earlier, starting January 3rd is when the Assembly and Senate convene to kick off as the Constitution require us to meet the first Wednesday of January. So we're, we're starting a little bit earlier, um, but I do think that February and March are going to go through uh, very quickly. Hopefully the winter will be as quick as well. Let me just ask you about a couple other things. Um, 
One is the coming closure of the College of St. Rose. I know you've been working on that issue, and that is um, a top concern for you know Albany and the capital region. Um, given the fact that it, it has been decided and the college will be closing, what do you think will happen next? Uh, you know, to all of those buildings and the neighborhood. So, you know, first priority, of course, is to make sure that the students um, are are connected to another uh, facility of higher institution. And we met uh, the elected officials, um, myself, Member Fahey, Senator Breslin, Mayor Sheehan, and, and County Executive McCoy met with the leadership at St. Rose last week to have this discussion. They're doing an excellent job of making sure that the teach-out plan, which allows students to connect with uh, other higher education institutions, is happening. That's number one. Of course, number two is to make sure that the faculty have a place to land. And that's something as well that we're working through. In all fairness to St. Rose, and everybody should, you know, perk up and listen here. The reality is there are bondholders that have some 40 some odd million dollars worth of liens or ownership on 17 buildings. So there may be 40 plus buildings, but that debt has to be addressed with. And the bondholders are going to play a very large effort. Um, the message was very loud and clear from leadership at St. Rose last week that, um, you know, if people have thoughts, ideas, interests, they can submit them. Uh, it's on the St. Rose website, and you can always contact my office if you have any further questions on what their interests may be. But right now, it's very premature to be doing that because uh, the leadership and, and the bondholders, because this is a legal matter, have to come to a, a solution on where it's going to be. A lot of ideas are out there, um, some very good ones, some that I would never have seen coming. Like what? Um, but at the end of the day, that's going to be a decision that St. Rose and the bondholders are going to have to make on how they deal with it. I think in reality, many of us, many of us would like to see a, a comprehensive approach, uh, particularly to provide even greater stability and, and to that community and to that neighborhood. What are some of the wilder ideas you've heard? I'm going to beg off on that one because I'm not one to push forward rumors that just don't deserve the time of day. But that being said, to me, it's just a good way of people being creative. But, you know, I think it needs a comprehensive approach. Um, I think that's important. This is a very important part of the city. And, you know, although I don't represent the capital city uh, with redistricting from last year, I still care very much about it because at the end of the day, the city of Albany needs to be strong for the capital region to be strong. So as a pharmacist, how worried are you about COVID-19 this winter post-holidays? COVID-19 is still real. Um, it has now fallen into the category of being like the flu and like RSV. Um, I strongly encourage individuals to really consider the vaccine, but let's be very clear. The days of mandates are over when it comes to that. Um, it's kind of interesting because it, it still is real. It is still having an impact on our healthcare system. There are people who are getting sick. Um, we need to treat it like a like an ordinary um, health issue. But our biggest problem in healthcare in general, and this is not just related to COVID, it's called healthcare. In other words, oh, I get care when I have a problem with my health. The truth of the matter is what most people miss out on is that there are many ways to prevent adverse health experiences. And 
simple things like vaccines, simple things like wearing a mask when you're not feeling well. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It may may have felt odd back before the pandemic, but now people recognize that. Once again, not mandating it, but encouraging people to think about their health and just as importantly, to think about the health for others. Um, that being said, I will be very clear. I This doesn't win a lot of kudos with people, but, you know, there's a lot of people that like to conveniently say COVID is over. However, we still have mandated COVID sick time on the books. So if somebody gets sick, they get and they get a, a negative test done, a PCR test done from the facility, they get an additional five days of sick time. Now, New York State has had a long, strong history of providing paid sick time for hardworking employees. But the additional sick time, it doesn't make sense to me. What We're going to give five days to somebody with COVID, but if someone's going through chemotherapy, we don't give them five days. We don't give somebody five days for the flu or pneumonia. Uh, the reality is that has been an unfair burden on small businesses. It's been an unfair burden to individuals in the workplace when you really think about it because it's built up a lot of animosity. We need to move on with that because it. As I said earlier, we are looking at it as being a, a, a normal disease. So people need to be responsible, need to be thoughtful, take the right precautions to protect themselves, protect their families and loved ones. New York State Assemblyman John McDonald is a Democrat from the 108th District. Uh, thanks, as always, for taking all of the time to speak with us, and we'll check in as the session gets going. Ian, thank you very much, and here's to a great, prosperous, and healthy New Year. Okay, that does it for this episode of the WAMC News Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Ian Pickus.